Previously on Transformers University, we checked out the first 10 episodes of the Transformers cartoon and we met the entire voice cast for the season. Now, we head into the final six episodes on Transformers University. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Transformers University, a TFU.info podcast. I am your host, Anthony Brucali, and we have a packed show for you today. So before we jump right into it, we are going to be talking about the final six episodes of the season one cartoon from 1984. And before we get into those episodes, and I've got a lot of great guests lined up for this show, I just want to say thank you to everyone who had a chance to check out our Toy Fair coverage, uh, to check out our sister podcast, TFU News and Views, also hosted by me, and uh, to check out the YouTube channel. So if you haven't been to the YouTube channel, swing on by youtube.com slash TFU, I-N-F-O, TFU info. And that is uh, our home base on YouTube. And please subscribe uh, if you haven't subscribed already. And if you're listening to this on YouTube, uh, and you want to listen to this on your favorite podcast app, uh, you certainly can. It definitely usually <laughs> definitely usually uh, goes up on the uh, podcast feed before it hits YouTube. It just it's quicker to get it up there. So if you if you absolutely need to hear this first, uh, please subscribe on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. And uh, if you are subscribed, please leave us a review, leave us a five star rating. All of that helps us get discovered and helps grow this show and helps me be able to uh, do this more often and more frequently. All right, but enough housekeeping. Let's, uh, let's jump into what we're talking about today. And today we are talking about episodes 11 through 16 of season one. That would be The Ultimate Doom, parts one, two, and three, Countdown to Extinction, uh, A Plague of Insecticons, and heavy metal war and there are two of my all-time favorite episodes uh in this batch of uh shows so we will get into those and we're gonna start with the ultimate doom now the ultimate doom is an incredibly important piece of transformers fiction because it is continually emulated by other things in the franchise just about every sequel to the original michael bay movie has kind of ripped off the ultimate doom um and so we start here before we get into the show let's talk a little bit about the writers now the ultimate doom uh was the brainchild of three writers that we've already spoken about uh, dick robbins bryce malick and doug booth now while they're credited as the writers uh there is somebody who on each episode credited with the teleplay and in this one it is larry strauss now Larry Strauss didn't write all that much. He wrote uh, an episode of uh, the GoBots. He wrote an episode of the Transformers. He wrote an episode of uh, the sitcom 227. And he wrote an episode of the sitcom The Facts of Life. And that's the important one because Larry Strauss is also an author. And uh, in Do My Digging Around, he is the son of uh, Hollywood composer John Strauss, who uh, did some work on Amadeus and on the Blues Brothers, and Charlotte Ray, who uh, is best known as Mrs. Garrett on The Facts of Life and Different Strokes. 
So there you have it. Mrs. Garrett's real-life son uh, wrote most of this episode, or at least wrote the teleplay for uh, The Ultimate Doom Part 1. And uh, something to note from uh, tfwiki.net, the fine folks there, uh, this episode is actually entitled Brainwash on all the uh, printed material that was given to uh, the voice actors and and such. So this episode starts with the Decepticons raiding a solar power station in India. And uh, they attack the Maharaja, who is a uh, an Indian royalty uh, figure. And uh, the Autobots arrive on water skis, which I think is one of the weirdest things until we get to episode three of this uh, three-parter. And we uh, get introduced to the Decepticons' new human ally, Dr. Arkaville. And uh, he's never really explained, but he has this Operation Guinea Pig where he is going to uh, kidnap humans and implant what's called the hypno-chip onto them and turn them into, quote, mindless slaves. So the attack in India is actually a... Diversion, so the Decepticons can attack the Autobot base and kidnap Sparkplug. So the Autobots head to the Decepticon undersea base to rescue Sparkplug and do so successfully. They bring him back to the base, and while they're being repaired, it turns out that uh, Sparkplug is sabotaging all their weapons so that the Decepticons can attack. Uh, Spike and Sparkplug have this exchange, and uh, Sparkplug wants Spike to join the Decepticons. And Spike refuses and then sets off the fire alarm and <laughs> unleashes fire retardant foam. And as we've mentioned, that defeats just about everything except maybe cartoon nets uh, in this universe. And the fire retardant foam uh, fills the Decepticons' weapons, the Decepticons' retreat, and Sparkplug willingly goes with them. And then we find out the uh, Decepticons' plan is to space bridge all of Cybertron to Earth. And... Uh, he has a three-pylon space bridge, it's like a huge space bridge used to um, bring an entire planet to Earth. And the Autobots find out the plan. They uh, attack the pylons, but it's too late, and Megatron has brought their home planet within the orbit of Earth. And that is basically where the episode wraps up. And uh, this, is a, this is a fun, fun episode. Uh, not nearly as fun as the middle episode of this uh this trilogy, but uh, definitely one of the more fun G1 season one episodes. So we're left with Cybertron in Earth's orbit and what will happen next. And that takes us to the Ultimate Doom Part 2, the middle episode in the Ultimate Doom. Uh, on the script material, it's entitled Search, according to TF Wiki. And uh, I guess technically this is the penultimate Doom given it is the second-to-last part of the Ultimate Doom. Uh, again, we have the uh, triumvirate of uh, Robbins, Booth, and um, Malik. And the uh, teleplay for this episode is by Earl Crest, and uh, he would go on to write seven episodes of the uh, Transformers G1 series, and he was a prolific and well-respected animation writer. He wrote Disney's Fox and the Hound. He did a lot of writing for... Animaniacs and Tiny Toons and Pinky and the Brain won two Emmys for some of that writing. And uh, in a little interesting note, I was able to dig around and found out that he was a big fan of the Muppets. In fact, he was a uncredited Muppeteer 
on the original Muppet movie, and he performed Ernie, and I think Bert in that movie, at least according to IMDb, I was only able to find him talking about performing Ernie. Uh, he kept a blog uh, up until his passing in 2011 called My Name is Earl Cress, which you got to give him credit for the name is pretty fun. Uh, that site is no longer there, mynameiserlcress.com. But if you use archive.org and hit up the Wayback Machine, you can actually go and find his posts. And he talks a bit about the animation writing industry, and he talks a bit about his time uh, with the Muppets. And uh, he also used to post to a Muppet board, uh, message board, called Muppet Central. And uh, there he posted under the name Was Once Ernie. So uh, if you're interested in finding more about Earl Cress, that's where to go. And it, it makes sense that such a well-respected writer um, penned what one of the episodes I had alluded to earlier. Um, this is one of the best and most important Transformers episodes of all time. This episode has so much in it, so much that um, says to me G1 cartoon, and has so much in it that I used to emulate as a kid playing with my toys. I really feel like a lot of these, a lot of the stories here are kind of, um, they're kind of timeless. They're kind of what made this show feel bigger than just being a cartoon. And uh, first thing about this episode that sticks out to me, so um, one of the things this uh, episode does is it explores the relationship between Spike and Sparkplug, uh, father's son. And this um, is kind of interesting because it, it clearly defines Spike as our human hero in this story and in all the future stories we will see in seasons one and two. Um, yes, the Autobots are the heroes, but from the human perspective, uh, Spike is certainly meant to be the viewer and meant to represent us and meant to make us feel whatever he's feeling. And it's interesting because he is, um, he is clearly the hero in the hero myth. Now, I took a course when I back when I was in college about myth and archetype in literature, right? And uh, one of the archetypes is the hero. And the hero generally, throughout fiction, um, is usually missing one or both parents or is not with their biological parents. And that's just kind of how it works. So think about it, right? Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter, Jon Snow. Like, you can even go back to, like, ancient Greek and Roman myths, like Hercules or, or Romulus and Remus. Or, you know, more modern myths like Ted Theodore Logan and Bill S. Preston Esquire. All of them, they're missing a parent. Uh, and I think that is really important uh, to note here. So Spike is that one. We never hear about Spike's mom. We never hear about Mom Wit Witwicky. Um, we don't even see one of those until the Michael Bay, first Michael Bay film, um, so we don't know. And, and this carries into the comics, too. We, we don't really find out about Buster's mom in there either. At least not to my recollection. Now, you know, hey, if it does happen, you'll discover it with me as we get back through, uh, through the Marvel Comics run. Okay, so what happens? So uh, let's get into plot here. So in this episode, we start with... Cybertron coming over the horizon dangerously close 
into Earth's atmosphere. Um, and I, I, one of the things I love about this episode is the, the direction, the art direction, and the angles used, and the blocking used. It's it's really good, <laughs> like scary good, how uh, how it looks in a lot of these scenes. Um, the shot of Cybertron coming over the horizon is one of those really neat things, and um, you know we we get we get the sense that you know this is dangerous to Earth and it's bittersweet for the Autobots seeing their home planet, but not you know not wanting to see their home planet, and so the Autobots and Decepticons fight. Uh, the Decepticons win thanks to sound waves, audio disruptor waves, and forces the Autobots to retreat. Now, uh, as I mentioned about playable moments, there's two that come up real quick in this one, and that is the uh, Autobots convoy. They can't see uh, because the rain, the atmosphere is is too hard to drive in. The weather is bad. Every time I'm in really bad rainstorms, like the scene tends to come to mind of Optimus and Ironhide and Jazz following each other super close because uh, they can't see the road in front of them. And then Bumblebee, towards the back of the line, uh, gets a flat tire and uh, needs Spike to change it. And both of those scenes, I, I just remember as a kid uh, emulating with with my toys. <laughs> and then um, Bumblebee and Spike get attacked by Laserbeak um, during an earthquake. Bumblebee falls into the crevice caused by the earthquake and spike is uh kidnapped by Laserbeak, which is then stopped by the autobots of uh by shooting him down and guess who shoots him down it is blue streak again so uh, i think that's our third count someone correct me if i'm wrong on that but i think it's the third time we've mentioned Laserbeak getting shot down by blue streak and uh hound blue streak and wind charger go to rescue bumblebee uh, hound's got this two-handed uh metal detector if you want to call it that he holds it at a very strange angle and as much as i'm talking about how great the shot blocking and angles are in this episode uh this one i think they tried to get over on the kids and to the parents just to make it look a little awkward uh, <laughs> and and keep the parents involved in watching um and then when charger rescues bumblebee with his tractor beam um, and then they drive off, and this is another weird, weird moment in this, is that they transform Hound, Blue Streak, uh, Wind Charger. Bumblebee and Spike both hop into Hound. Uh, Bumblebee rides in his back seat, so it's a Jeep with a Volkswagen riding in robot mode in the back seat. Um, then the Autobots send the Dinobots to fight the natural disasters being caused by the uh gravitational changes with Cybertron being so close to Earth and uh, the Dinobots again. Again, another great playable moment in this episode. The Dinobots, for being really dumb characters and portrayed as dumb characters, they come up with some excellent solutions to stop some fires and flooding and everything else that's going on. Uh, we see Sparkplug's wrench that uh, Spike takes uh, with him, and that's important later on. And the... Um, and you ever wonder what the the sentimental value to that wrench must be? Um, maybe this ties back to Spike's mom. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but we never really find that out. But um, the Autobot base, the volcano in the Autobot base becomes active. And again, we've got another playable moment where Skyfire rescues a bunch of Autobots who have been exploded out of the volcano. And Ironhide runs in and selflessly puts out the... Uh, uh, the activity within the volcano. 
And then we get to find out that Optimus Prime is horrible at keeping secrets. I'm not certain, but for the moment, I feel we must not let the boy find out. Find out what? Spike, we have information that Sparkplug has been taken to Cybertron. Oh, come on, Optimus. Like, you just said we shouldn't let the boy know. He says, well, know what? And you go, tell him everything? Like, make up your mind. If either you don't tell him, want to tell him, or you do want to tell him, I guess you made up your mind. But, oh my god, that, that scene just, it irks me for some reason. <laughs> um, and then we get another great, you know, Jetfire, excuse me, Skyfire's cab service uh, to Cybertron. And uh, I just made that mistake, but actually in the original script, uh, you find out that the original script had all the Skyfires listed as Jetfire. And I'll get into that in a little bit, because there's a place you can actually hear some of that audio. So, um... So Braun, Bumblebee, Spike, um, Trailbreaker, and Wheeljack all hop in Skyfire and take take the trip to Cybertron. And so while on Cybertron, uh, Spike falls into a trap. It's followed by Bumblebee and Braun, and they they find themselves stuck in this ventilation shaft of of sorts. And this is one of those things. I was watching this, and so you know they. They're looking for a way forward, and they walk forward, and then all of a sudden they fall through the ventilation shaft again and into the Decepticon base. And I said, this is weird. This feels like there was a deleted scene. And it turns out there was a deleted scene. Um, so apparently from the point where they fall into this trap and the point where they fall through the ventilation shaft again, a self-defense mechanism of sorts or a, some sort of base uh, alarm system had turned up the heat incredibly high in that uh, little tunnel they were in and it actually melts the floor out from under them and that's how they fall into the Decepticon base and you can actually hear the audio for that on YouTube if you check out uh, if you just do a Google search for uh, Transformers at the Moon uh, it's a great site uh, that if you're not familiar with it you should go check it out but they have this fantastic YouTube channel uh, they had acquired a whole bunch of audio. I think we played a clip in one of our episodes uh, earlier. Um, I don't want to lift their audio, but uh, go check it out. That whole deleted scene is there in their Ultimate Doom Part 2 recording. And uh, it makes this scene make so much more sense because it really doesn't make sense otherwise. So they fall into the Decepticon lair, and Sparkplug is there. Um, Spike tries to distract him with his wrench, but... Ultimately, Sparkplug is still under the control of the hypnochips and sounds the alarm. And that's where this one ends. And uh, there's just so much great and rich stuff in this episode. So we move on to episode three now. The Ultimate Doom Part 3 features a teleplay by Leo D. Parr, P-A-U-R. I couldn't find much on him, but he wrote and directed a film adaptation of the opera Rigoletto. This episode is entitled Revival, and uh, something interesting I caught as someone who who does video editing for a living. Um, so the recap at the beginning of the episode here, it's, you know, uh, previously on the Transformers, you know, Vic Caroli's got that big booming voice, and we get to see a whole bunch of scenes from the last two episodes. And one is that the scene of Bumblebee falling into the earthquake uh, crevice, and then it's followed by a shot of the lava from the arc erupting and then again a shot of Bumblebee falling leading you to believe that 
Bumblebee fell into a pile of hot lava, which he didn't do at all because those things took place in two different scenes. Um, but getting back to the story, uh, Braun fights off a pair of Seekers that look like Thundercracker. <laughs> one is light blue and one is dark blue, and neither of them are Thundercracker as far as uh, TF Wiki notes. Um, and then uh, Wheeljack and Skyfire and Trailbreaker all arrive. They help save the other guys from Shockwave and the Decepticons, and they escape to find Wheeljack, to go hunt down Wheeljack's lab. In the scene, we have more Tetra Jets, and uh, those are important. Uh, you haven't seen those, I think, since the Rainmakers? Or, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was going to say the first episode, but I'm pretty sure the Rainmakers were the last time we saw the Tetra Jets. And if you've been following our Toy Fair coverage, uh, there's a good chance those might be getting toys next year. Uh so swing on over to TFU News and Views and give that a listen. Uh, our Toy Fair coverage had a little bit of uh, that in it. Uh, they've only been hinted. There hasn't been photos, so please don't uh, take that as abject fact at the moment. And uh, while they're racing to Wheeljack's lab, uh, and this is our second visit to Wheeljack's lab, um, they get followed by watchdog cars, which are just... I guess Decepticon police cars. We don't know if they transform, but it's kind of interesting to note that we saw something very similar uh, in the uh, the sticker adventure books that we covered uh, a few episodes ago. And then after they get to the lab, uh, the Autobots try to figure out a way to stop the Hypno Chips. And then we cut back to Earth 2. Well, you know what's coming next, right? Surfing Autobots! Yeah, 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 that's exactly what you were thinking. It was surfing Autobots. Autobots on surfboards. Optimus Prime, Ironhide, Ratchet, Blue Streak, Prowl. On surfboards, riding a tidal wave. Uh, <laughs> I don't know where this idea came from. I don't know who thought it was good. Um, but they are racing to stop the Decepticons from collecting some of the energy from the tidal wave. Uh, the Autobots crash into... Uh, the Decepticon outpost. Uh, there's a lot of chaos in it ensues. The Decepticons pretty much flee. And uh, Starscream rescues Dr. Arkaville and uh, takes him away. So then we head over to an island where Megatron is overseeing a shipment of Energon cubes and a Star Cruiser that will take him away from Earth uh, as he knows that Cybertron will eventually tear Earth apart, being so close. Uh, as he's uh, there, Skyfire and the Autobots return from Cybertron, and Wheeljack has created a device to free the human slaves. Megatron flees with his ship and his Energon cubes uh, to presumably wait things out on Cybertron, and uh, Spike realizes that they just need to blow up Megatron's ship in order to knock Cybertron out of Earth's orbit so all the Autobots fire upon the ship and blow it up and Cybertron falls out of Earth's orbit and that is the end of the ultimate doom and uh, if you think Megatron is dead we are left to know that he uh, survived the explosion and is floating through space like this so that is where we are at the end of the ultimate doom and I could go on a bit about the uh, the merits of this episode but I will let Mr. Chris McFeely 
of Transformers The Basics uh, talk just a little bit about it as well. One of my favorite things about The Ultimate Doom is an extension of one of the things I enjoy the most about Season 1 as a whole, which is the fact there's kind of a loose story arc running through it that's all about the space bridge. And you get that run of episodes at the start of the season that are about setting it up and overcoming how hard it is to use. And then we get The Ultimate Doom taking it to the extreme, teleporting like a whole planet, Cybertron itself. You know, something so big that even the live-action movies would copy it. You know, space bridges were never that exciting again. Again. And in between those episodes at the start of the season and The Ultimate Doom, we got Skyfire and the Dinobots. And The Ultimate Doom features all of them, really, you know, adding to the feeling it's a big, climactic storyline that's pulling together everything we've seen in the season so far. And it throws in that subplot um, and the epilogue um, centered on Starscream's treachery in a way that we've not seen since the pilot miniseries which seems like it's taking his story to an ending as well. You have that bit at the end where Jazz says they won't see him for a while. You know, it add, it, uh, it all adds up to, like, four episodes that make a... like It feels like a multi-part uh, season finale story, which is why I always thought it was really weird that it's not the season finale and there are two more episodes left. And be sure to check out Chris's show, Transformers The Basics, on YouTube. It is a phenomenal watch, and uh, I'm so glad that the show has taken off. Um, it is worth every second to watch every episode if you can. And if you like this show, you'll like Chris's show. And for other thing, for one thing, Chris is uh, one of the main writers of the TF Wiki. Uh, so if you like the voice and style of tfwiki.net, then you're probably already familiar with Chris's work. And so that moves us to... Uh, the fourth episode, the the epilogue, if you will, of the Ultimate Doom, and for this one, I know Chris mentioned it a little bit in his segment, and we're gonna we're gonna jump to another special guest, and we're gonna send this one over to Eric Crownover of Steel City Bots, uh, another podcast that you might enjoy. He is what I like to refer to as uh, our resident young person. Uh, he is far younger than me and the guests I've had on the show. Um, he's our Pete Davidson, if you will. And he is going to talk just a little bit about the next one, Countdown to Extinction. So as someone who was not born in 19, the 1980s, but rather 1999, um, watching G1 is always very interesting. Um, it's not my favorite show. But I certainly appreciate it so much for everything it's given us and all the characters and it's just done it it started everything that uh we we love and care about and also some things we don't love and care about. But, you know, without this, we wouldn't have anything else Transformers. So I always find it interesting to watch G one and also I always find it very funny. Um, not in a bad way, but it's just it is very much a product of its time. To me, at least, it does not... I don't want to say it doesn't stand up to the test of time, because, I mean, I still enjoy it, but it is certainly obvious that it is It is no modern cartoon. Uh, it is very much an 80s cartoon, specifically. But this episode is certainly no exception to that, uh, because... Countdown to Extinction gave me multiple laughs throughout. Um, to start out, 
there's the whole assumption that Megatron's dead. Now Starscream's in charge. So Starscream takes Dr. Arkaville, uh, and they go off to his laboratory. Since he's now the leader of the Decepticons, my question is, why didn't he... Why didn't he take any Decepticons with him? I mean, if he's all proud that he's the leader now, shouldn't he, you know, like, gather the Decepticons together and lead them? I don't know. I just find that odd. Because uh, he could have just gone rogue at any point. But now that he's leader, he's just abandoning them. Um, but yeah, so they have this plan to blow up the Earth and uh, Starscream, you know. Well, they have this plan to use the generator and Starscream's like, I'm going to blow up the Earth because that'll give me lots of energy. And uh, Dr. Arkville is very much not a fan of that, but we'll get to that later. Um, but on Earth... Uh, Megatron returns to the Decepticons, uh, saying, hey, I lived, and whenever he finds out about Starscream and Dr. Archival's, uh, you know, partnership, he sets off with the Decepticons to stop it. Now, the Autobots detect the activity, and they go after them, and every single one of them gets trapped in quicksand. Not like just the ones in the front, and then they have to rescue the ones in the front. No, everybody drives into the quicksand. Um, but no worries. Ironhide has his handy-dandy liquid nitrogen to freeze them all. And they conveniently capture Laserbeak, who uh, reveals you know, the Decepticons' plans, and the Autobots then follow... Uh, the doctors the go to the doctor's secret laboratory. Um, now we get to the part where the doctor is very much unhappy with Starscream uh, wanting to blow up his planet, as one probably would most of the time. Um, so he attempts to, you know, rewire the systems, and uh, it turns out that Starscream totally reprogrammed all the security uh, so that he would just get electrocuted. He'd get fried if he used it and he wasn't, you know, authorized. Um, you'd think that Starscream would know, like, what dose to do to just, you know, knock him out or something, but no. This this clearly hurts him terribly, so much so that he, over half of his body has to be replaced with uh, machinery, which I would assume is Cybertronian, since, you know, they it's Cybertronian repairing him, but... Um, I don't know that for sure. I do find it interesting that this is really the first kind of hybrid of human and Cybertronian technology, assuming that the robot parts are Cybertronian. Um, whereas later on, we get a lot more human, you know, robot fusing with, you know, headmasters and stuff like that. But right now, this is the most we've gotten. So this is really the first example of um, a major uh, Cybertronian human fusing. Um... Afterwards, the Autobots and Decepticons both arrive there, and uh, Megatron really wants the generator, not knowing what it is, and he fights Optimus Prime for it. And I, I really enjoyed this fight because it just seemed so awkward to me. It seemed like they were both just kind of, like, I don't know, uh, trying to dodge each, like, kind of fake, trying to fake each other out, maybe. I don't know. I, I just find it very funny to watch this fight. It seems very, like, there's a lot of pauses between the two. Like, they just kind of, you know, have a long pause in between movements. But, you know, it's it's still, it's very entertaining to watch. Um, and then Shockwave tells Megatron, who he now knows is alive, uh, that, hey, that, that thing's going to blow up the Earth. You, you might want to stop it. 
Um, so Megatron uh, decides to tell Prime, who now has the generator, that uh, I need your help. We gotta we gotta shoot this thing into space so it doesn't blow up the Earth. Optimus Prime is fine with that, so Megatron transforms into a gun. Optimus Prime loads the generator into uh, loads the generator into the gun, which yes, that is that is clearly how that works. Um, you know, with I'm just I'm just pointing out I now at this point Galvatron obviously didn't exist, but like with Galvatron, I feel like that'd make a bit more sense because it's a giant uh, cannon that you know they could fit something in the barrel of but a pistol i don't know i just <laughs> they just squeeze it in but you know that's just how it is uh so that's funny to see and they shoot it and it goes off into space and you know who it hits of course because who else could it hit other than starscream in a perfect perfectly uh hilarious ending where you know starscream is just like what's happening why isn't the earth blowing up and my plan working and then he just gets you know blown off and flies down and um of course he lands there uh in front of megatron who is very much not happy uh megatron you know drags him away you know really angry and <laughs> then the autobots are all uh wondering huh i wonder what megatron's gonna do to starscream I bet it's nothing good. And they're just laughing about the fact that <laughs> Starscream's going to get the crap beaten out of him by Megatron. Which I found also very funny. Because this just shows that uh, the Autobots, regardless of centuries and centuries of war with the Decepticons being mortal enemies, killing each other nonstop, uh, they could still just have a joke about the others. I mean, of course, it is at Starscream's pain, but I still just think it's funny that they they like to joke about, oh, man, that Starscream is going to get beat up by that old tyrant Megatron. Like, <laughs> I don't know. So overall, I just got to say this episode was very, very entertaining. And, um... That is just part of the reason I I adore G1 is because of all the characters it has given us, obviously. Uh, and while we have gotten more since, but obviously the majority have come from G1. And just how funny it is to watch. And again, not in a bad way at all. You know, if you grew up with this and it was your childhood and, you know, you loved it... Um, I totally understand why. It's awesome, you know, robots transforming. And, man, it is just... It is... A certainly something special and I don't think there's anything anyone can deny and Countdown to Extinction is a very good example of that and this this is a very special episode there's a lot a couple of firsts in here um, you know when Optimus fires Megatron you know he he pulls the hammer without a care uh, squeezes trigger that makes him man and it is the first time they team up in Countdown to Extinction it's also the first time uh Frenzy appears, which is clearly an ego boost for Rumble. Don't think twice. And uh, kind of find it interesting that Dr. Archiville uh, gets turned into a cyborg. You know, he's part bionic and organic. And it's uh, uh, maybe he's not a cyborg, but he is certainly something. And, uh, I, I, you know, you don't see him. He did get a toy in the early days of the masterpiece line and it's, it's not really much it doesn't have any possibility but it would have been neat uh, to get him in that uh that i don't know that that psychotron kind of look now for this episode uh the writers on this episode uh there was a team of writers uh 
by the name of uh, Reed Robbins and Peter Salas. Now, I couldn't find much on either. Um, they did both write together on Challenge of the GoBots, uh, the direct competition. Now, Peter Salas um, was the one I found the least on. He edited a film called It Came From Somewhere Else, which is a pretty low-end B-horror movie from what I can tell. Uh, it may be in the vein of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes. I haven't really had a chance to watch it, but it is up on YouTube in its entirety for free if that's your sort of thing. Now, Reed Robbins, on the other hand, has uh, spent a career uh, in the entertainment field doing uh, web design, as a composer, uh, where he composed music for Sonic the Hedgehog and a number of other cartoons. And he is presently a author of children's books, including the titles uh, Moe's Got B.O., Sue Hates Pooh on Her Shoe, and Bart Can't Wait to Fart. And if I'd like to pick up any of these books, I will include a link in the description to where you can get these on Amazon. You can read these all on your Kindle. They're about two bucks each. Eric, by the way, who uh, covered this so nicely, the uh, crown overlord, if you will. Uh, if you have some time, check out his podcast network, Steel City Bots. They do a lot of great stuff about Transformers and Star Wars. And you can check that out on the iTunes, on the YouTubes, and on uh, anywhere you find your favorite podcasts. And that will bring us to the next episode a Plague of Insecticons, and that one is written by Douglas Booth, who we've uh, touched on the last few uh, cartoon episodes. And for more on that, we turn it over to my buddy Gabe, the Salty Seaman. Hey folks, Salty Seaman here, uh, playing another round of uh, How Much Can uh, I Ramble and Force uh, Anthony to Cut uh, the Majority of This Out. Because today I'm going to be talking about uh, a very interesting episode here, uh, Plague of Insecticons. Uh, the, the whole feel of the episode, it feels a little off. I, I think it's, I, I didn't catch the writer, but uh, the, the, the writing felt a different, little different tone. Uh, just ever so slightly. But it's also first season, so they're still really getting their bearings on what kind of show they're going to be. And they're a lot more consistent by the second season. A uh, few notes I caught watching, uh, you know, activate, uh, one point Megatron says activate the Ravage cassette, which is, uh, which is a really odd turn of phrase. I don't remember him ever saying it that way, uh, in the past or any other episodes. Um, there's a lot of, uh, this episode definitely is, uh, a toy selling episode. I mean, not, that they're not all toy selling episodes, but I mean, this one really is like, okay, what do they want us to sell on these things? He's like, all right, all right about that. We'll, we'll, we'll sell Hasbro a bunch of them. It, it really felt like the script. I mean, obviously, you're introducing the Insecticons here. So, new toys right off the bat. And, of course, they have all cool uh, G-Wiz powers. Uh, you've also got, uh, you know, ability to seemingly unlimitedly clone themselves, I guess, depending on how much energy they have. Which seems to be a very useful power that you don't see a whole lot of. And you think it would have been one they would have used a lot more just for background filler because there's so few Decepticons. But these are the Insecticons that most people are pretty familiar with. So they get a lot of cool... They get to see all their Cerebro shells. I don't think... Yeah, we get the Cerebro shells. We get uh, the Unlimited Cloning. Uh, lots of cool uh, little nifty things. We get Shrapnels. A verbal tick repeats the last word of a sentence of a sentence. 
uh, which is one of my favorite, by the way. It's like one of my absolute favorite like verbal ticks on the show. Uh, the but but you know the Autobots are also shown to be uh, you know like wind chargers br- busting out his power, showing Wheeljack's rear memory that he can actually fly. Is one of like the few Autobots that can. Uh, Optimus Prime just being a badass, like just he's like all right, so, you know, Sideswipe's doing his little gimmick thing, and he just like Prime's had enough. He's like step aside. And he goes busting through a goddamn wall. It's fantastic. And then later he picks up a sunk oil tanker with just two, just him, and throws it at Megatron. I mean, Prime is. I said, you, child. Of course, you got Trailbreaker uh, using his force field, but that's you know very common. But but there's a lot of weapons and gadgets and uh, and hey, isn't this cool? Buy our stuff. Uh, so I thought that's interesting, but weirdly, no Starscream—a very rare episode from the first two seasons that doesn't have Screamer showing up. Uh, we'll spark plugs in it, but I don't think he speaks. So I think Chris Lotta might have had the day off on this one. But very weird, just seeing uh, Thundercracker, you know, uh, just kind of hanging around with Megatron instead of Scream instead of Screamer. I don't know. Uh, this place, this, this also is on the island of Bali, which is part of Indonesia. I've been there twice. Visiting on a ship, I didn't realize, you know, there's farmland inside. Other than I rewatched this episode as an adult, I was like, oh, okay. So, so yeah, this is, uh, the, the basic story is the Insecticons, like, had apparently, I guess they were protoforms is the best way to describe it, because they escaped from the Nemesis before they boarded the, uh, the Ark, I would say the Ark, the Autobot headquarters. Neither name was given in this, by the way. So this, this is much. Those names came a lot later. Spoiler alert. Uh, but they don't seem to remember being Decepticons. But they know what Autobots are. Like they, they, they call the Autobots by name when they first see them, and then they see Megatron. They don't recognize him. So I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on that. And also, this is starting with the whole thing where the Decepticons are really kind of kept. Tr- they made a point. They come from the same engineering, whatever that means, but. They, they are kind of separate from the Decepticons, at least initially. Obviously, by the movie, they're fully in. But yeah, they don't show up an entire ton in the, uh, in the cartoon. So uh, it, it, it's, a weird, it's a weird little thing, uh, the, the, the divide. But, but I, I kind of like it. Uh, the Decepticons you know, devour everything. They, you know, they, they use crude oil, uh, actual human-type uh, farm food. And, uh, and 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 crude oil, they they apparently can consume anything. So I mean, these are, I mean, very powerful warriors given their their gifts. And uh, yeah, it's surprising they're not used more in the series. Uh, one of my favorite moments uh, when they are attacking the uh, the 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 farmland, like one of the Bali farmers, just like I can't remember, is like oh, monsters attack from the. It was a very erudite like statement from a farmhand, you know. Like he's almost, you know, doing some Shakespeare out here describing his, his peril. I really like that guy. Uh, this is a, a lot of jokes and, you know, some of them are actually fairly good. Uh, there's also some kind of like very deadpan deliveries. Like the the, the whole voice recording of this episode feels a weird, like disjointed, possibly chopped up. Because there, there's no, there's, there's a feel of disconnect between a lot of the, the lines spoke. You know, I think back then they... You can tell the episodes where everyone's in the same room and they're feeding off each other versus when they kind of put it together. Sometimes you can feel that disconnect, and I really feel that in this episode. But it's kind of it, it, it makes it funny on like a different kind of meta level. I enjoy it. I actually really enjoy it. Uh, 
there's there's a pretty funny uh, one last thing, pretty funny scene where uh, Meg's just like takes his cannon off and he's sitting there leaning, you know, like he's a kid from the hood against the uh, the wall of the tanker, just chilling. It's, it's only for three seconds and the Autobots show up, but it was just I, I really love that picture. I'm surprised I've not seen that as more for an Avatar because he is so chillaxed just watching the Insecticons get down on some uh, some crude oil. Uh, fine first season episode. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I think this is one of the ones I used to see a lot on reruns as a kid, so a lot of it came back to me really well. And if you like Mr. Salty over there, uh, check out his YouTube channel, The Salty Seaman. You can give him a look and uh, talks about all things Navy-related. You've heard him on this show before, and you will certainly hear him again. Uh, a couple things that he left out of the recap that I thought are fairly uh, interesting is that uh, one uh, this episode starts in Bali at a place called Demon Swamp and uh, man I think uh, I saw them open for Slayer back in the 90s and they were awesome um, the Insecticons are also incredibly hungry 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 Insecticons if you will and uh, they arrived on Earth via the Decepticon escape module uh, as Megatron points out, and Thundercracker mentions that they have Idento computers, which is what just gave them insect modes. And I'm just kind of interested to know uh, more about those. I mean, now we've seen, you know, in in the original pilot that uh, Teltran One gave everyone their alternate modes. So it's just interesting to note uh, that bit of Transformers biology. Uh, another piece of impossible physics that I always enjoy about this show uh jetfire and company flew to fight the decepticons in bali and uh the rest of the autobots drove to indonesia from oregon <laughs> so and made it there almost in the same amount of time uh and i think that Pretty much covers everything I wanted to talk about. Oh, and the final bit of this episode. So the the way the Autobots defeat the Insecticons. So the Insecticons use lightning uh, as a way to increase uh, shrapnel's power. And uh, the Autobots realize that if they transform into vehicle mode, their rubber tires give them insulation. And I don't know if that is actually scientifically something that would work. Like if your car gets hit by a bolt of lightning, I don't know if your your tires insulate you or not. I remember there being a bit of urban legend behind that. Uh, so hit me up on Twitter at TFU underscore info. Correct me if that is wrong and let me know if that actually... Well, don't let me know if that actually works. Don't go out and do it yourself. But do tell me if... Uh, that is just TV nonsense or not. And one last note about this episode uh, that is really important um, is that this was the final episode to air in 1984. It's not the final episode of the season. It actually aired after the season finale. It aired out of order. So this aired um, in late December of 84. And the next episode, Heavy Metal War... aired in mid-December, and this one is the other one I was talking about when I talk about my all-time favorite Transformers episodes. This one is certainly up there. This one is written by Donald F. Glute, who we had 
talked about in the previous episode. And for more on this, I, uh, I turned to a good friend of mine, Mr. Dave DeSegli of D-Square Productions. And uh, Dave and I, we go back to when we were teenagers, probably, let's see, I was 14 or 15 when I met Dave. Uh, we met riding bikes to the comic book store to pick up Infinity Gauntlet number four uh, via mutual friends. And uh, Dave and I have been friends ever since. And uh, you may know Dave uh, as the mastermind behind D Squared Productions um, and their work for WoodRocket.com. If you're under 18, do not look that up. If you're over 18, do look that up and you'll probably get a good good chuckle out of some of those songs at the very least. Uh, Dave has uh, been a prolific vocalist in his career, so uh, uh, you can check out some of his former bands because uh, we love the heavy metal, me and him. Uh, he was in a band called uh, November Kills. He was in a band called After the Bath. He was in a band called Someone Else. And I know he listens to this show because he texts me Every time an episode goes up. And <laughs> uh, one day I will tell his story of uh, renting Transformers the movie on here, but not today. So uh, I reached out to Dave because I wanted him to talk about Heavy Metal War. And he got back to me with a full-on original rap song about the episode. This episode, when I saw it as a kid, I nearly blew my load. Megatron on the endless search for Energon sends in the shiesty constructor cars to do what construction workers do bend the rules with these heavy metal tools. And propose the only way to stop the war is a battle to the death. That's Cybertron law. Now, with the strength of all powers combined, they scheme to exile the Autobots and Prime. It's so deceptive, but it all works out. They rolled out, figured out what the plan's about, and with the help of telling. Tron 1 and the Dinobots, they just foiled the plot. And with a little trickery of their own, created a hologram and sent Devastator and the crew home. And there you have it. And that pretty much sums up Dave in a nutshell. I give him an episode called Heavy Metal War, and he comes back to me with a rap song. <laughs> But uh, if you like Dave's work, you can also check him out in his uh, new project, Rob Boss, uh, with a couple other friends of mine. Uh, it is the, I guess, the rap version of Bob Ross, and they have their new single out and video up on YouTube called Let Your Beard Grow. Uh, so go check that out. It's a, it's a fun song. Um, so let's talk about a couple of the important things in this episode, and I will kind of give more of a breakdown of how this show goes. Uh, we start with the Constructicons, and this is their first appearance, uh, and they are attacking a construction site to steal a, an energy disc and a power converter, so clearly this is Tashi Station. Uh, they successfully steal that stuff, and then we uh, cut back to the Decepticon base, where we find out that Megatron has built these Constructicons in this cavern. Um, they are building a machine for Megatron to use um, to transfer the abilities of all of his Decepticons to him. 
via their power chip rectifier. So apparently the power chip rectifier is what gives each character their unique abilities, such as Skywarp's teleportation or Starscream's cluster bombs. And Megatron flies to the Autobot base to challenge Optimus Prime uh, into a fight via the uh, Cybertronian Code of Combat, which is a law. And so Optimus must fight him, and uh, the loser will be exiled from Earth to deep space, and the winner will get to stay in the place of their choosing. Uh, this is by far one of the most playable moments uh, if you were a kid in the 80s playing with Transformers, because it was the scene itself is just fantastic. It's both sides just kind of create like a circle uh, to sit in and watch this fight unfold and uh, uh, Megatron and Optimus fight and Megatron kicks the crap out of Optimus and one of the neat things he does during this fight is he uses the cannon that is on his uh, his shoulder swings it around like the toy would and shoots it from his hip meanwhile the constructor cons are tunneling under the Autobot base in order to destroy Teletran 1 and keep the computer from discovering what Megatron has done. Um, during this scene, there's an interesting moment where one of the Constructicons is called Scrounge, who is not any of the Constructicons, and is actually a character we'll meet uh, in 85 in the Marvel comics. Now, now Optimus loses the battle. Uh, another interesting little thing here that you couldn't really do with the toys, but uh, was just interesting to see was Huffer... Um, takes Optimus's trailer back to base with him. Um, as the Autobots are heading back to base, Teletran 1 senses the intruders and activates the Dinobots to fight the Constructicons. Uh, Optimus ignores this fight on the way into the base, uh, citing the law as the reason for not helping the Dinobots. Um, and they get inside, the Autobots do, and they get repaired. Now, outside the Constructicons... Uh, transform in two phases, phase one and phase two, another playable moment to form Devastator, the first combiner we will see in the Transformers series. Uh, and Devastator and the Dinobots uh, fight as the Autobots realize that they have been duped and that Megatron had stolen his powers and fought unfairly. And so the Autobots realize that the law no longer applies to them, and they run out to help the Dinobots. Now, the Autobots use a hologram of a giant Autobot, who eventually would get a name, Holonix Maximus. I mentioned him in the Meet the Cast Part 2 episode uh, back a few episodes ago. He was voiced by Peter Cullen and uh, eventually got a name in, in retrospect. But the hologram does enough to distract the Decepticons so that the Autobots could fire on Devastator and Megatron and the rest of the Decepticons, pushing them back into a pool of lava where everyone falls in. And Megatron reaches out and says, we shall rise again before falling into the lava. And that is where Season 1 ends with a possible Autobot victory and a clean place to wrap it up if there wasn't a season two but we do know there was a season two as uh, the show was incredibly successful and 
we will get to that as this show goes on. And that will wrap up this episode of Transformers University. I want to thank all of my guests, uh, Gabriel Owens, the Salty Seaman, Chris McFeely of Transformers The Basics, Dave DeSegli of D-Squared Productions, and Eric Crownover, the Crown Overlord of Steel City Bots. Of course, if you like the show, please like and subscribe wherever you enjoy podcasts. If that's on iTunes or Google Play, make sure you give us a rating. If that's on YouTube, please subscribe and help us out there. And of course, you can always help out the site by going to tfu.info slash help. And uh, there you'll find a list of a lot of images that we need for the toy archive. And if you want to just help us out with a little bit of uh, financial help, swing on by to tfu.info slash Amazon. And everything you order after that, uh, Amazon sends us a couple of pennies and dimes uh, to help with production costs on this end. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter at tfu underscore info, on Facebook at facebook.com slash tfu info, on YouTube at youtube.com slash tfu info, and on Instagram at tfu.info. Of course, if you want to just email me, it's info at tfu.info. And until next time, see you.